So good to see you today. I have to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm sort of recovering from a major case of jet lag. I uh, went to Cambodia two weeks ago, got back a week ago, and I, someone told me this week when I got back that it takes, for every hour of time zone difference, it takes a day of recovery. So we are 14 hours different over there. So I'm like, this is going to go on for two weeks. So, but it's all good, and uh, I'm starting to feel better this morning, as a matter of fact, so that's a good thing. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip to Cambodia, but we're going to spend uh, or save most of that for a month from now when we come to our annual mission emphasis and we just talk about what's the mission of Lakeside and how are we on mission together and those kinds of things and we'll, we'll talk about it more then, but I'll just give you a couple of stories today and some things to think about and, and what's this all about. Four of us went to Cambodia a couple weeks ago uh, here from Lakeside, myself, Dan Ripple, and Steve and Jamie Wright. And for those of you who were praying for us in that journey that we were on, I just really want to say how much I appreciate that. I could tell that you were praying for us. It was huge for us that you were praying for us. Uh, we went to Cambodia, not for vacation, but to visit a ministry called Agape International Mission. And the work of Agape, or AIM, as their you know, name is shortened down to, the work of AIM uh, began to create uh, houses of recovery for young girls who have been taken captive into the sex trade, sex slave industry. And uh, they've created these, this recovery process and aftercare ministries and things for these girls who have come out of the sex industry or out of the life, as they call it. And uh, we just went to see what they're up to and, and how it's going and, and what God's doing through them and maybe how we might be able to partner with them in the days and years ahead. And so I just have to tell you, and I, I probably go into a trip like this highly naive. I'm certain that I'm just naive to the stuff that goes on in the world a lot. Uh, but my eyes were open a lot as well. And one of the things that's just very true of the culture there in Cambodia these days is it's dark. It's just dark with the sex trade. You know, it's dark in a country that sells their children into slavery. And, and we often think here in America, it's like, oh, slavery ended when America stopped it. You know, when we put a stop to slavery in our country, then it was over everywhere. It's like, not, not true. It still goes on. And now it's, it's uh, mostly focused on sexual activity in, in slavery. And so it's really, really dark. The good news of this is there's some really great bright spots. And so we got to work with AIM a little bit and watch what they're doing to, to um, carry out their ministry and bring light in the midst of a dark place, in a dark world, in a dark culture is really, really good. And we just got to experience that. One of the things I thought I would see there when we met with some of these girls who had been trafficked, trafficked I thought, oh, we're, we're going to come into a recovery house or we're going to come into the church or whatever we're going to do. And we're going to see a lot of long faces and, and heads hanging down and a lot of shame and a lot of, you know, just darkness on people's faces. And it was the, the exact opposite of that amazingly, and, and you would know it if the grace of Christ has come into your own life, when the grace of Jesus comes into your life, it rescues you. So we sing songs, you know, love came down and rescued me. God came here and rescued me. That's a true statement. And when you see it on the faces of these girls, it's amazing. And you know that it's real and that's true. So that's, that's the, the good news side of what's going on there. Uh, one example of this in my particular journey, when we got to the church, uh, Don Brewster, who's the director of AIM, he said, now we're going to get you a translator. So when you come into the service and the pastor's giving the message, 
we'll, someone will translate it for you. And I, I told him, you know, at the time, it's like, oh, I don't need a translator. You know, it, the message in this case is not for me. It's for your people. Let them hear it. Don't make us interrupt. You know, I don't want to be a distraction. You guys just focus on what you have to do, and we'll just watch. We'll just observe. That's fine. So the pastor gets up to preach, and he, get, he preaches like a 45-minute message on the life of faith in the Khmer language, which I don't understand at all. So I'm just like, okay, this is going to be, you know, interesting. I'll look around. And, but about 30 seconds into it or so, or two minutes, something, I don't know, very quickly into it, a young woman comes up bus, beside me, and she grabs a chair and pulls it up and sits down right next to me, and she begins to talk in my ear. And my first thing was like, stop doing that. You know, and I'm trying to pay attention. Well, then after about 30 seconds of her talking, I'm, I realized... Whoa, she's really good at this. You know, so everything the pastor's saying in Kamai, she's saying in English. And every time the pastor got, you know, a little more excited, a little more passionate, she got more passionate. You know, and every time he started to whisper, she started to whisper. And whenever he shouted, she shouted. Which was rather awkward, right, you know, in close proximity. <laughs> she went through the whole sermon, and she just whispered in my ear everything the pastor was saying. And at the time, I thought, you know, I wish I could have one of these for every person at Lakeside. I mean, right... Because I'm standing up here, you know, you, you, I'm standing up here, I'm the preacher, and I'm like, wah, 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 wah. And you're like, yeah, wah, wah, wah. You know what? To have someone just whispering in your ear, this is what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. This is what the Spirit of God is saying to you would be so amazing for you. And I wish you could have that. And of course, you have that because you have the Spirit of God in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. And he, and he speaks into your ear and says, this is what God wants to say to you today. So I hope as you walk along together, as we walk along together as God's church, that you're paying attention to that voice, that you're listening to that voice, because that's God speaking into your soul. It matters. So this girl does this amazing job translating for me through the course of the sermon. We got done. I turned around just to, just to meet her and to find out, you know, a little about her story. She talked to me for about a minute or two, and then she was off. She had other people that she had to serve and care for and, and do ministry with and whatever was going on that day. So she left, and I had a chance to talk to one of the leaders of AIM. And I said, well, just tell me a little bit about her story. Turns out this young woman, who was maybe 20 or 22 years old, had been sold by her grandfather as a sex slave when she was six years old by her grandfather for $500. And you go, the world is not right. And yet to look at her face and to listen to her story and to listen to her talk about the grace of God and, and what it means to live a life of faith was remarkable. I may never forget the influence of that young girl in my life. God came to rescue us, and, and the whole story of the gospel is that he came to rescue us. So we will, I'll tell you some more stories today, even as we go along, and then in August we'll talk about it when we talk more about mission. But let me, uh, let me transition that and, and to get you to think about what God's saying to us today. We're, we're in the middle of a five-part series called Summer Classics. And what we're doing is we're taking some of the classic passages of Scripture. They're, they're classic because we love them. They're classic because we repeat these certain passages over and over and over. I think the reason they become classic is because they're stories of redemption. And the redeeming factor in these stories or these passages of Scripture grip us and move us. And so we're talking about classics this summer. And so we started a couple weeks ago with the 23rd Psalm, right? And some of you are memorizing it. 
Come on, you posted on my Facebook that you were memorizing. I know some of you were, right? Some, I know some of you were trying, and you're only at verse 1 still. So it's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Good, so you got the first verse, right? So, that's, so you're making progress. If, you're, if that's as far as you've gotten, that's fine. Keep, you know, keep after it. That's good, right? So the Lord is my shepherd, that's a song of redemption, you know, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That's about redemption. It's about rescue. And then last week, Libby talked about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. She did a great job telling us the story of Romans 8 and uh, how God works together everything for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose that we might be conformed to the image of his son, which is what the definition of goodness is but it's hard to get there sometimes. It's a redemptive passage. It's a redemptive story. I want to take you to another one today, and we've got a couple more weeks after this, but I want to take you to to another familiar passage of Scripture, one that's really well-known and yet maybe not always quite so well-known, one that's really well-loved but not always really well-loved. It's a verse you've probably heard of, you may have memorized it, or you may have started on the first verse of the, of the passage and then stopped memorizing. I'm not sure. It's called the Ten Commandments. You, you've heard of this one? Do you know them? Oh, wait, I asked you that, I asked you that last fall. Do you remember this? I got, all mad, I got all mad and cranky at you that certain day, right? And uh, we were talking about raising children. We we're talking about family matters and how we're raising children. And in the process of raising children, one of the things God says is, make sure they get my law. Make sure they get my heart. Make sure they get my commandments. And so he said, you know, you ought you to learn with your children the Ten Commandments. That would be a great thing. And uh, some, some of you got mad at me when I did that. And then, uh, but some of you took that to heart and you said, oh, we're going to do it. So there was one man in our church and his daughter, and they both said, oh, we're going to learn the Ten Commandments. Well, it turns out the daughter, who was about 10, was better at it than the dad. <laughs> shocking, right? I mean, I know it's shocking. So, so this little girl, she learned them. So, well, a couple of weeks later, two or three weeks after I had challenged you to memorize the Ten Commandments, uh, I, I was here on the, at the church on the weekend. Saturday night, we were having our worship gatherings, and I was delivering the message, and I just didn't feel good at all. I was sick, and I had a cold or the flu or something, and I probably infected 50 of you. I'm not sure. But, you know, I, at the end of the 6.30 gathering on Saturday night, I just like, I'm, I'm not going to go out in the lobby. I'm not going to say hello to anybody. I'm not going to shake anybody else's hand. That would not be good for them. And so I just, I left out the side door. When my part was done, I got, went out, and I got up, and I went, got in my car. And I start driving away. Well, on the way out, my wife texts me which, you know, you're not supposed to do while you're driving. It's like, but she didn't know I was in the car. So anyway, so I, I pulled over. I looked at my text like, oh, it's my wife. She says, there's a little girl here in the church looking for you. Where are you? Oh, I never leave early. But I did that day. And I'm like, well, I'm in the car. Donna knew I was not feeling well. So I'm, I'm in the car. I'm heading home. And uh, she goes, well, this little girl really wants to see you. I, I'm okay. You know, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm right out front. Have her meet me outside the front doors. And this little girl comes out, and she wants to tell me the Ten Commandments. So we reenacted it, and I want you just to watch a little video of what this sort of felt like that day. Hey, Pastor Brad, can I tell you the Ten Commandments? Sure. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, in the heavens above, 
in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, not you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor any of your animals, nor the alien living within your gates. For in six days God made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. But the seventh day God rested. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's manservant or maidservant or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17. Good stuff, right? Ten Commandments. You've heard of them. You know some of them, probably. Uh, you might think, oh, I, I could get six or seven of them. You know, I don't know. But we have this funny, interesting relationship with the Ten Commandments. Some, sometimes we'd like to take some of them away. Sometimes we'd like to add something to them. Have you ever thought, you ever thought there was a commandment that was missing? Thursday evening, I've got a friend who's a pastor, and he, post, he started posting stuff. I don't know why, but the timing was perfect for getting ready for this talk. He started posting stuff on Facebook about commandments he'd like to add. And so I just I pulled a couple out. I thought, these are pretty helpful. I'd like, I might like to add some of these. So here's, here's one. This might be commandment number 11. Um, Thou shalt not drive thy chariot like an idiot. <laughs> Very relevant. Maybe number 12, thou shalt not roast s'mores in the burning bush. <laughs> number 13, thou shalt not circumcise thy son while riding on a camel. <laughs> yes, your son will thank you. So, I don't know, there, you, maybe there's a lot of other things you would like to add. Sometimes we might like to take them away. We, when we think of the Ten Commandments, it's interesting because we have enshrined them on our public buildings, on state houses and courthouses. We've posted the Ten Commandments. And of course, now there's a movement in our country to take those down, get rid of those things. Why? Because someone might actually obey them. I mean, that, isn't that the only reason we wouldn't want, some, wouldn't want them up? Because someone might actually obey them? We have this interesting relationship with these things called the Ten Commandments. And I want to just kind of walk through and help us to figure out what they mean and what they're about and why do we have them. We often think negatively about them, frankly. Even Christians often think negatively about them. For example, when I tell you that, when I give you the phrase, the Ten Commandments, what are the first three words that come into your mind? Thou shalt not. Right? I mean, that's, isn't that how the commandments go? Don't they all start with that? There's Ten Commandments, don't they all start, thou shalt not? Kind of a negative perspective, isn't it? Actually, they don't all start that way. We just think they do. That's kind of how we imagine them in our minds. And I want to talk that stuff through as we walk ahead in this, 
in this little discussion. So let me just kind of walk you through and give you a, a perspective on what these commandments are and what they mean and how they work with us and how we work with them and how do we live with them and see if this is helpful today. All right, here's why, they're, here's why I believe they're classics. Now, when we come to the Ten Commandments, the very first thing you have to do, as you do with any kind of scripture, is figure out what the context is. So let me just walk through for a minute what the context of the Ten Commandments is. When cults take the Bible and they pluck it out of context, we get all huffy at them. It's like, no, 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 it doesn't mean that. And if you were look at the context of that scripture, you'd know that it doesn't mean that. And people take all kinds of things in the Bible out of context, and then they say, oh, it means this or it means that. You can make the Bible mean anything you want if you take the verses of the Bible out of context. And then we always get mad at others when they do it. And we go, we interpret the Bible correctly. Yeah, but then we come to the Ten Commandments and we suck them right out of their context. And we go, here, it's just a list. It's a list of thou shalt nots. But that's not what it is at all. And you'd get that if you got the context. So let me just show you a little bit of context. The Ten Commandments show up twice in the Bible. Once in Exodus chapter 20, which is where we're going to go. And once in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy, the word means second law. It's the second giving of the law. Like right before the people of Israel came into the promised land, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience. And Moses says, you know what? I better give you the law again because I think you've forgotten it. So he gave them the second law or Deuteronomy. That's when the commandments show up the second time. But the first time is in Exodus chapter 20. And there's this list. But if you go back one chapter before that to Exodus chapter 19, you'll find the beginning of the context that surrounds uh, the story when God gave these commandments to Moses and to Israel. So Exodus 19 verse 3 says this. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Love this. Here's the context of the Ten Commandments. It comes as a statement of redemption. It comes, they come as a statement of rescue. He says, you remember what I did to Egypt. The fact that the Israelites escaped from Egypt was absolutely impossible. That never should have happened. It never should have been able to happen. How do you get a whole nation out of a nation that has you locked down in slavery? How do you just walk out across the desert and escape? How do you go to the Red Sea? How do you not starve to death? How does all that happen? That's impossible. Except God says, when you came out, I carried you on the wings of eagles. They got out because God carried them out. God personally carried them out as an exercise of his grace, as an act of redemption. That's the context for the Ten Commandments. Now, it gets more specific as you get right into the chapter where the Ten Commandments come. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, God says this. Moses writes this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he begins the commandments. The commandments were given against a backdrop of redemption. They were given against a backdrop of rescue. And once you know you've been rescued, that changes everything for you. 
I told you when I went into Cambodia and I, I went into these places where these girls had been trafficked, I thought I'd see all these long faces and all this shame and all this grief and despair and all those things. And I saw none of that with them. Not the ones who'd been rescued, not the ones who'd been redeemed. Not, not once did I see that. There was joy and there was expression of happiness and expression of, of gratitude for what God had done for them. Because they know they'd been rescued. There's the context of the Ten Commandments. You go, it's a list of rules. It's a list of thou shalt nots. No, it's presented against a backdrop of redemption and rescue. Sometimes the hard part for us as followers of Jesus in America is we just don't know how much we've been rescued. Like, oh, okay, I need need a savior a little bit. That's kind of how we think. But when you really understand the depth of where we were and the, and the conditions from which God saved us, being slaves to sin, we have been saved every bit as much as the nation of Israel. We've been saved every bit as much as these girls who have been rescued from the sex trafficking trade. Every bit. And so the Ten Commandments come along and they're, a, they're against a backdrop of redemption and grace. We think of them sometimes as the ten rules or the ten hardships, but they're really ten words of grace, ten words of good news. Now, when you get that context behind you, then you come to the Ten Commandments themselves. And one of the things that's helpful to understand the Ten Commandments is the format in which they are presented. There's a, there's a format of these, for these Ten Commandments. And in fact, there's, a, there's sort of a pattern that God uses when he communicates with us in some of the classic passages of Scripture. God communicates with the same pattern over and over and over again. And it shows up in the Ten Commandments. So, for example, you know the Lord's Prayer. Well, let me ask that differently. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Right, okay. I, it was my fault. I didn't ask it well. So, he's like, so do you know the Lord's Prayer? You've heard it, right? Um, Yeah, I was going to give you the 23rd Psalm. Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. This is the King James Version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that about? What's that part about? It's about God. It's about God's desires. God, may your name be treated as holy. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done in my place as it is in your place. It's all about God. And then you come to the next three prayers in the Lord's Prayer. How do those go? No, that's not how it goes. Yeah. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread. Who's that about? Me. I'm hungry. I want bread. That's about me. That's about my needs and my desires. And forgive us our debts. What's that about? Me. Because I'm guilty and I've sinned against you and I need to be forgiven. Oh, and, and forgive me my debts as I also have forgiven my debtors. That's you, because you sin against me also. It's mutual, mutual sinning. And we need forgiveness. And do not lead me into temptation, because I can find it all by myself. That's about me also, because I get in all kinds of trouble with temptation. So here's how God's communication pattern goes. The beginning of it is all about God. The, the last of it is all about me. The, the beginning of it is all about God. The, be, the ending of it is all about humanity, human beings. And see, we get it all out of whack in our culture because we always want to start with me, 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 me. 
We always want to start with human beings. We always want to start with humanity, and we set God aside. See, the Ten Commandments didn't start with, you shall have no other gods before me, and don't make an idol, and remember, my, remember not to misuse my name, and remember my Sabbath day. If it didn't start with that, it just started with, hey, honor your father and mother. Don't, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. We'd leave them up on the courthouses. But because it starts with God, we take them out. Because it's the God part that's offensive. And so our world says, get God out of our lives. Get God away from us. We're just going to deal with humanity. God says, if you try and take me out of it, you'll never understand grace. And you'll never understand redemption. And you'll never live with the joy of freedom in this world. Start with God. And then move to yourself and to others. That's how the Lord's Prayer goes. That's how the great commandment goes. Remember, um, a, a lawyer came to Jesus one time and very helpfully asked Jesus, Jesus, can you take the whole law? I know there's like hundreds of laws that you've given to everybody. Can you just take the whole thing and do a, like a, a summarization for us? Can you just put it into one law, one commandment? Jesus goes, well, how about two? He says, Here, here's the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's God's communication to us. What's that about? That's about loving God. He says, then here's the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's about humans. Love God, love your neighbor. It's the same pattern. God first, others next. Me next. And then you come to the Ten Commandments, and you find the same pattern comes in the Ten Commandments. You've got the first four commandments. They're about God. And the last six commandments, they're about others. It's the same pattern. When you begin to understand the format, you begin to understand that's how God deals with us. Him first, his desires, his ideals first, and then focus on one another. Now, in the process of thinking about the format of the Ten Commandments, you'll come back to that whole idea that there are, there's sort of negative statements in there. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. In fact, eight out of the Ten Commandments are listed as prohibitions. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do the other thing. Prohibitions. And I'm like, okay, if these are statements of grace, if this is against a backdrop of grace, why does God put them in such a negative format? In fact, there's only two that are sort of positive, and one of those is only sort of positive. That's the number fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You go, well, that's sort of a positively stated thing. But when you get into the elaboration of it, he says, that means don't work. Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath day. Now you've got only one. Commandment number five, you've got only one that's fully written as a positive statement. Everything else is sort of on the thou shalt not line. What is that about? I think it's about this, and some of you have heard me describe this before. Sometimes the fastest way to express a value is with a prohibition. Sometimes the fastest way to express a value is to express it negatively first. Not that you're going to end there, not that that's where you're going to land forever, but you express it that way first because it's the fastest way. For example, if you have a four-year-old who likes the street... Right? There's nothing wrong with a four-year-old liking the street except cars live there. And they drive down the street very fast. And so you've got this thing with your, you know, your four-year-old, your three-year-old, or your 13-year-old, whatever it is. And you're like, don't go in the street or don't play in the street. Very quickly, thou shalt not play in the street. It's a commandment. Now, why do you do that to your children? It's not because you really have anything against the street. I mean, you, you know, your child's not going to hurt the street pretty sure, right? 
And, a, and actually, there are, there are people among us right here in the crowd that, today that um, you let your children play in the street. Don't you? you do, if you live in a cul-de-sac... I played in the street all the time growing up. You know, my mom, she she didn't really worry about it because I lived in a cul-de-sac. You know, only lady we worried about driving down our street was the newspaper, the afternoon newspaper lady. She was wild. So we, you know, got out of the street when she came. But other than that, we're like, we're in the street. No problem. It's not really about the street. It's about my child and how much I love my child. If you live on a street like I live on now, there are cars that drive up and down my street. It's not a cul-de-sac and they drive too fast. And if I had a four-year-old, I'd be saying to my four-year-old, don't go in the street. But do you know why I would say that to them? Because I have this value behind it. And what I would want to say to my four-year-old is, Honey, I love you with all my heart. You're one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. If I ever lost you, I would be heartbroken forever. And I want you to live a long life. And I want you to prosper. And I want you to have children. I want you, I want you to have children so that I'll have grandchildren. I'll be able to say to my grandchildren, Don't play in the street. You know, I've got this long thing of value for my, for my children. It's like, that's why I say to them, don't go in the street. Don't go in the street. It's just a fast way to say to them, I love you a lot. And all the other things that go into that value. Here's the Ten Commandments. And they're, they're expressed against a backdrop of grace, but they express God's value of our relationship. My relationship with him first, and my relationship with you second. They express God's values in the quickest, shortest, most succinct way possible. So God says, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And you go, that's a prohibition. You go, why not? Because God says, my value is this, you shall have me. I mean, how great is it if God comes to you and he goes, hey, I I want you to have the best thing possible. I want you to have the best life possible. Let's just start with this. You shall have me. That's God's value for us, that we have an intimate connection and relationship with him. And don't don't make for yourself any false idols, any, any images that represent me, God says. Why? Because no image you represent God will represent him in all his glory. And so they will all diminish God. Never diminish God. You want to understand God in his fullness, in his wonder, in his beauty, in his power. And you don't want anything to limit that. And every time you create an image of what that God would look like, you limit him. You inhibit him. He wants you to know the truth about him. And don't misuse the Lord's name because the Lord's name represents his reputation. And God doesn't want his reputation being damaged in this world. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Don't do any work on it. Why? Because God values rest. Why? Because he gets tired? How many of you think God gets tired? Beautiful. Me either. I don't think God ever gets tired. But he rested. Why did he rest at the end of creation? Why did he rest? To show us how. Because he knew we were going to get tired. He said, I value that for you. You need that in your life to be healthy and whole. It's a value God has for us. Oh, and... And then honor your father and mother. It's the one commandment that comes in a, per, in, a, in a completely positive statement. Honor your father and mother. And in that commandment, you see some of the values behind God's statements to us in these ten. You see the stuff that underlies it. He says, I want you to honor your father and mother. Why? Because the child that learns to honor their father and mother and a culture of children who have learned to honor their father and mother will be a healthy culture. 
and a culture that doesn't in a culture where the children don't learn to honor their father and mother will be a culture that disvalues life. And it's a pretty straight correlation. Honor your father and mother because it changes life. And teach your children to honor their father and mother because it teaches them to value life. I saw this in Cambodia. Some of you won't remember the history of Cambodia very much. I'm not, I wasn't all that familiar with it myself. But I remember in the late 70s, the second half of the 70s, there was this dictator in Cambodia. His name was Pol Pot. You may remember the name. He led a group called the Khmer Rouge, which simply means Red Cambodia. It was a communist group that was going to set up a utopian culture. And what they found out after some time trying to build this utopian culture was it wasn't working. And the people that were, in, that were educated and the people that were doctors and lawyers and religious leaders and school teachers and all of those, they began to say, this is not right. This is not how we should live in our culture. Making us do certain things and forcing us into a certain mold. That's not how we should live. And so Pol Pot began to believe he had enemies and he became, he became paranoid and so he began to kill off his enemies. And he didn't know who they all were so he began to kill anybody who wore glasses. can't read now, but I, you know, I'm safe. He began to kill anyone who had a college education, began to kill all the doctors in the country, killed all the professors in the country, killed all the teachers in the country, and ended up killing all the religious leaders in the country, anyone who might oppose his agenda. And as the years went by, more and more people ended up being killed by the regime and dumped in the killing fields. And as it got toward the end of the 70s and the end of his regime, when everything was beginning to collapse upon him, It got so bad that the soldiers who were assigned to kill these people were actually taking the children of those people and forcing the children to torture their own parents and then kill them. And now those children who tortured and killed their own parents are now parents of children themselves. And in a culture where the whole culture has said, dishonor your father and mother. A whole culture has learned to disvalue life. And so what is it if I've already killed my mother, if I've already killed my father, what is it to sell my daughter as a prostitute? It's nothing. See, God has this value for us, these values for us, and he listed them in his Ten Commandments, and he said, when you learn to live with these, it's the best for you. And don't kill and don't commit adultery. Don't alter marriage. Don't, don't steal because God values work. Don't, don't give false testimony against your neighbor because, you're, because God values the, the reputation of your neighbor. Don't covet. Why? Because God values contentment. Because he knows that when you live with contentment, you live in a healthy world in your own life. And all those commandments that God gave to us, he gave to us because he loves us. And when we react against them or when we push against them and go, God doesn't know what's best for me. We're pushing against the wisdom of the creator. We're pushing against the love of our redeemer. God gave us the Ten Commandments out of a background of redemption, a desire for what's best for us. That's why they became classic. Jesus, I pray for us. Lord, 
I think the commandments you gave us are just really entry level. I mean, it seems to me, of course we shouldn't murder. Of course we shouldn't commit adultery. Of course we shouldn't lie. Of course we should have no other gods before you because there are no other gods besides you. But Lord, honestly, we get distracted and we, and we get confused about the commandments. And so today, would you just bring us back to the root of them? Let us know the story of them. And Lord, I pray that you would build them into our lives. That the first four that deal with our relationship with you, that they would be firmly planted in our lives. That the last six that deal with our relationships with others, that they would be firmly planted in our lives. And you would shape us by them. Lord, we don't think we'll be saved by living them out perfectly. We can't. We, we know we're not, uh, we're not looking at this through some odd-colored glasses. We're realists. We know we sin. We know we fall short of the standard. But when we know that your standard is for our benefit, then, Lord, may we live to it by your grace. Lord, thank you for these things. We honor you together through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.